ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors here on a Monday. I'm Philip Pilkington filling in for Stephen Igo. Unfortunately, Stephen is feeling a little bit under the weather right now, so I'm I'm going to fill in for him. And filling in for me on the other side of the glass is Scott Rogers. Good morning, Scooter. How you doing? Good morning, Philip. It is a wonderful Monday morning here in Greenville. We've got baseball media day today. Fired up. Fired up. That's right. If you are listening on the radio at noon, we have pre-taped this because we are at Baseball Media Day. But if you are joining us on our video platforms, we are live here at 9.30 a.m. as Scooter. And I do have to make our way over to Lewisfield at Clark LeClaire Stadium after the taping of this show to interview Coach Godwin, many of the other assistants, as well as, I believe, seven ECU baseball players. So we're going to talk to you more about that tomorrow. Kind of a re- We are going to preview it here in segment two today. But we'll give you a recap tomorrow. Still unsure of whether it'll be Scooter and I or whether it will be Igo and myself. So if you were tuning in for the Kate and Hauser interview, we apologize. Um, Hank and Igo thought it'd be best to uh, to wait and defer that to when Igo would be back. Obviously, we don't want Caton's first impression of Greenville to be me interviewing him because, you know, that would not be nearly as good as Igo interviewing him. So Scooter and I are in today. We are going to recap the weekend that was in Pirate Basketball. Then uh, we will follow it up kind of a preview of baseball media day obviously with scooter being the voice of the pirates um i'm relying on him to hard carry that segment and then segment three will wrap up um just kind of the weekend as a whole focused a little bit on the nfl playoffs as the divisional round has wrapped up here in the 2023-2024 season and the conference championship games are set for the road to las vegas and the Super Bowl. So let's start here in Pirate uh, Basketball over the weekend. Scooter and I, um, just being up front, we, we watched a little bit of the men's game, but we were at the women's game. We were working the women's game. It started two, men started three. I was able to stream the first half. Uh, Patrick Mason and I from the Daily Reflector were trying to watch both games at one time. Then um, the second half, I was in most of the time, I was in Kim McNeil's press conference, but I was able to catch the end of the game. So we're going to start with the women. They bounce back. Back. They end their losing streak. Uh, Danae McNeil goes for a career-high 35. You know, Scooter, unfortunately, I feel like the team didn't look great, but I think there was a little more chemistry than we've seen that probably most we've seen since the South Carolina game, and it was good to see the uh, ladies get back uh, on top. Yeah, it was. And this team, you know, I mentioned to you last week on the air, which you say and how this team, I think, needs – a lot of confidence right now. That's one thing this team is lacking. And, of course, you know, a lot of teams would not have a lot of confidence when you've had the rough stretch they've had, of course, with the injuries they've had as well when two of your best players are out for the season. But that was a good win on Saturday for them. And for them just to get a win and kind of get that winning mentality back for them is big because, you know, when you look at the American right now in women's basketball, it's pretty much wide open. There's a lot of teams kind of towards the bottom that – Probably would not be in contention at the at the end of the year, but pretty much those top eight to ten teams could win this league, especially once you get into the tournament. And one of those teams could easily be East Carolina if they get hot. But 
they've they've just got to play with a lot of confidence right now. I think is their biggest thing. And Kim McNeil has definitely looked frustrated on the bench at times with with some of the players in terms of you know not playing with that confidence, having some attitudes here and there. But that's the one thing that's so good about Kim McNeil is she's not afraid to pull you and put you on the bench if you start not hustling on the court or if you start playing with an attitude, those sorts of things. But this team, uh, you know, could easily get back on the winning streak here pretty easily. Yeah, she mentioned in her post-game press conference, she's okay coaching X's and O's, but the one thing she will not coach is effort she expects out of her players. And to your point where you said she'll pull kids, I, I feel like coaches nowadays enough don't do that. They leave the most talented player on the floor, on the court, on the pitch, on the field, whatever it may be, um, regardless of their attitude and their and their hustle. And I would like to see that more. And I think Kim McNeil definitely does a good job of that. And, you know, to your point in playing with confidence, I think it's just confidence in each other. And I think losing Sania Johnson, who ran the top kind of the point on defense there of that 1-2-2 zone, has really hurt them defensively. Uh, losing Micah Dennis who was the kind of the commander-in-chief on offense, um, so losing her offensively. And I think once they – maybe now that they've just had this one win, I think they're going to be able to portray themselves forwards and do what they need to do. It was just a matter of getting over that hump. Even though they didn't look great, even though Danae McNeil kind of carried the team – I think now that it's happened, this should portray them going forward, and I feel good about their ability to still be up on top of the conference, excuse me, despite those two injuries they suffered in December, um, now that they've they've kind of gotten that first they've, – they've had that first slide, and now they're back on track. Yeah, and, you know, they got a good chance on Thursday night when they go down to Florida Atlantic. That's one of the – the teams that is not doing very well in the America, but then you go right back on Sunday and you play South Florida. And in the past, South Florida has been the top team in this conference before, even before UConn was here, they were always right there at the top, right below the Huskies. And now since UConn was out, they pretty much ran this league for the past few years. And last year they got upset in the conference tournament, didn't get a chance to see East Carolina in that conference tournament. But this is a Bulls team that is down a little bit this year. And, of course, playing on the road is going to be tough. But you got a chance to get a, I would say, pretty easy win against Florida Atlantic Thursday night. And then that game against South Florida this coming Sunday is going to be a big one for this team. Yes, it will. So hopefully Kim McNeil and her squad can build off that 68-61 victory over SMU. Now we're going to jump over to the men's side. The men fell 69-61 to to UAB. That is their third. Doing it off the dome, right, Scooter? Third loss in a row? I believe so. Yeah. And um, they were not good down the stretch once again, making just two of their last 12 from the field uh this is a team who you know it seemed like the first half looked a lot better than the second my only real big complaint with the first half was at the end of the first half i, I think scooter was it was late in the women's game scooter's working at the scores table he didn't see this but uab made a basket with 12 15 seconds left and whoever was grabbing the ball out of the back of the or out of the bottom of the basket i guess thought the clock stopped in the first half on a made basket inside a minute and didn't really inbound the ball like was waiting to set up the offense was kind of quarterbacking them like it was the end of the game and mike schwartz runs like halfway onto the court to tell whoever it was to pick up the ball 
And then we end up throwing up like a half-court prayer, and it doesn't go in. It wasn't a terrible shot, but, you know, how good's a half-court shot ever really going to be? And that was one of the things that the only really complaint I had with the first half, but that's one of those things, Scooter. It's like, I mean, I get in the heat of the moment. It's sometimes, you know, it's not your job as a player to remember every rule, but it seems like with this men's team, it's just the little things here and there. Sometimes we could say maybe it's coaching. Sometimes we can say it's players. But how do you how do you mess that up? I mean, the clock has never stopped at any level at the end of the first half. Maybe the NBA it does, but nothing. No level these guys ever played. It doesn't stop in AAU. Doesn't stop in high school. How do you let that happen? And I, and I know I'm honing in on one, you know, you lose by eight, right? I'm honing in on one possession. But is it fair to say, Scooter, that it seems like if it's not one little thing with this team, it's another? Yeah, and it seems like that. You know, one of the things that throughout this year, and we've talked about this a lot too off the air, where this team honestly has not been blown out. But maybe you, you take that SMU game into that equation and also the George Mason game earlier in the year this team has not truly been blown out by anybody and when you look at the difference in a lot in pretty much all of those games free throws little thing but when you miss a good amount of them it adds up and that's been one of the things especially in these lo- these close losses that has been you know one of the frustrating things because you say hey if you make five or six more free throws you win this game by three or four more points that's the way it would have been against North Texas the other night as well and just things like that I think is what's cost this team a lot of wins this year um but you know I've tell I've told so many people this team is right there they're right there they've got so much better talent they've got so much better coaching it's just they can't quite get over that hump to get in the win column for whatever reason yeah and I think the one thing that you know they are right there which makes me optimistic the frustrating thing with this team is they have not won a close game. Okay, Kennesaw State, they hit the buzzer beater. That's one game. And then Tulsa, they won by five. But if you look at the point margin in a lot of their wins, you know, you said they haven't been blown out, and you're right, but they've had a list. A lot of their wins have kind of been blowout wins. You know, you beat Delaware State by almost 30. You beat UMass by 11. UNCW, it's not a blowout. You win by eight. But I think the frustrating thing with this team right now is you lose to Northeastern by six. You lose to FAU by 15, but you were down by like two with four and a half minutes to go, and you couldn't portray yourself forward. You lose to Florida by five. You lose to North Texas by one. I am still yet to see this team play a team that is equal in talent to them or slightly better and win a close game. Yeah, and you got a point. Um you know, those close games are what is going to define a lot of teams, especially once you get later in the season. But that was one thing, you know, they did it last year. They won a couple of close games last year, if I remember correctly. And that's, that's what separates, obviously, a good team from a great team. And this team certainly has not won a lot of those close games. They also had some bad losses at the beginning of the year. You mentioned Northeastern. Uh, you know, USC Upstate was a game we sh- should not have lost early in the season. And so this team, you know, I think a lot of it is they just got to get over that hump to, to put themselves in that better position. Yeah, and you mentioned the Upstate game. That was another two-point loss. So kind of going back just 
not winning the close ones. Um, you know, we kind of look at this UAB game as a whole. Um, again, kind of what we talked about last week when I was hosting for Patrick. and uh, Well, I guess you more talked about the women's game with me, but as I was talking about with Igo when he joined me as a guest, still not seeing that front court depth. So, Sierra Malonga was the, um, I guess, lone sub in the front court off the bench. We did not see Calum Richard, did not see Val. Um, and Sear plays six minutes and picks up four fouls. I liked that he came in early. I think he came in out of the first media timeout or thereabouts, give or take a minute, because um, I think you want to establish that depth early. But you have a bad game from him. Ezra had a good game, 16-10, and 10, so a double-double for him in 35 minutes of action. However, unfortunately, he missed two easy shots right around the rim. And look, he's human. He's going to miss. You know, He's done a lot more good here than he has bad. He was 6 of 9 from the charity stripe, so I don't want to you know, dog Ezra here. But it, it still kind of comes down to that point is who is going to be the third front court guy? We know BJ is going to start at the power forward. We know Ezra is going to be the starting center. But we have not seen anyone, and in a league where most teams have solid bigs, you know, you're not playing in a low mid-major, you need somebody to step up, be the third big man off the bench, and give, you know, Ezra and Brandon legit minutes of rest. But when Brandon's playing 37 minutes, and Ezra's playing 35 minutes, and you're in the bulk of conference play where you're playing two games a week, you sometimes only have one or two days off depending on where your midweek game falls, you've got to have depth. And only six guys really saw legit playing time. They played eight guys. Caleb LeCount played one minute. Sierra Malonga plays six. Jaden Walker off the bench plays 31. Everybody else, you know, that played legit minutes was a starter. And, you know, Coach Schwartz said it after the FAU game, this team's not deep enough yet He's right, so he, he he understands it, but it's just frustrating at this point that we've you know we're hearing all you know kind of off season about how great this team was going to be and how they were better, and I think they've got the ability to be, but you can't win with five or six. You know, certain teams have done it. You look at that Carolina team from twenty twenty two; they did it. You look at the Duke. I mean, obviously, they lost the national championship game, but they got there. You look at the Duke team from two thousand fifteen; they won it all with only playing seven. But in this league. At this level, with as much youth as this team has, you're not going to win with six or seven. And and I just have not been able to figure out who the next guys are going to be. And it seems like they haven't been able to decide it either. Yeah, and there's so many things, too, with this team where it's like you mentioned. Caleb LeCount plays one minute. And you have someone like Sear come in and play six minutes. Well, why is that not being spread out more? Why are these guys not getting more minutes? And I know – especially Sear, because Sear's been a guy that has played really good when he's play, when he's getting minutes. And so that's one thing that you look at him, especially early in the year, because he would come in, you know, play 10 minutes in a game, and in the next game he'd play two or three. It, it, that's one thing. And, it, and you brought up with Callum Richard. You know, why is he not playing right now? It's good size in there, at least for, you know, five or six minutes a game just to get some playing time, to give some guys some rest, because these guys are not going to get better if they're not playing. And and we've seen their potential in games, especially with Callum and Sear, where these guys can play at the Division One level. It's just they're not getting the consistent minutes to do so right now. And so I think if 
if those guys could play a little bit more, it would help them a lot. It would honestly help this team a little bit too. Yeah, I think it would. And you know, and I know I'm not trying to sit here back on Coach Schwartz because I it is tough. It is really hard to be a coach, especially when it's a roster you didn't totally assemble. And you know, you don't want to put a guy in if he's not ready because if a guy's not ready, you can kill his confidence and that is something you do not want to do but also it's it's so hard to find that balance of hey this guy he might not be ready quite yet so we still want to get him in because you've got to build the depth somehow like i said you're not going to win with six you're not going to win with seven um you know some of the greatest programs and the greatest coaches of all time have done it um you know texas western what is now UTEP did win a national championship game back in the 50s, playing only six in the national championship game against Kentucky. But again, that was one game that they did that. And um, it's, it's something that's very tough to do. And, you know, I've mentioned three times that teams have kind of done that. I'm sure there's others, but it's very seldom. So you would like to see that depth grow. And, you know, the only way you can't, the only way to simulate game minutes is, is game minutes. And, you know it's it's frustrating, but you know I'm, I'm sure that's why Coach Schwartz is not putting these guys in. He's worried about it being so bad that they kill their confidence or hurt the team's ability to win. But when you've lost three in a row, heck, just build the depth. I would rather us, you know, see us lose every game the rest of the year and feel like we grew in every game and built depth that we can take into next year than win three more games the rest of the year and. Be like, well, we saw the same six guys, and I still think we're going to have the same issue next year. But, you know, that's, that's why coaches get paid what they get paid um, because it's it's a lot easier to sit here and critique what we're saying, you know, or, you know, sit here and critique and say what we're saying than it is to go out there and do it. So, Scooter, do you have any final thoughts before we uh, throw it to break here that you want to mention about this game or about the, the men's team in general? No, I mean, I think that, you know, this team certainly has the ability to win some more games this year. Um, you know, good opportunity this coming Wednesday night against a Wichita State team that has not won a conference game yet. And so that's a team that has not been playing their best basketball. You know, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, we went into Wichita last year and beat them we did yeah and so you've got that confidence you know you can win at wichita state and so i think that's a very good opportunity for this team if they could get a road win against wichita state that would do a numbers for this team right now and 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 so you know you go in you get that win that gives you some confidence you get the road win there's plenty of more opportunities for this team to to try and turn this season around Yep, it definitely is. Well, on the other side of this timeout, we are going to shift gears to baseball. As ECU Media Day, if you're listening to us on our radio platform, is going on live as we speak. If you are video streaming with us, it is beginning at 11.30. So we're going to preview ECU Baseball Media Day as we are less than a month out from every Pirate fan's favorite season. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Pirates play here. This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. Welcome back into Hoist the Colors here on this Monday. Philip Pilkington filling in for Stephen Igo. Uh, If you're just joining us, Igo's feeling a little under the weather. We just recapped the weekend in Pirate 
hoops with the men falling to UAB and the women women excuse me coming out victorious over SMU. Reminder that the men will be taking on Wichita State at 7.30 Eastern Time on Wednesday. Network coverage will start at 7 right here on 94.3 The Game as part of the ECU Sports Network as well as our sister station, 107.9. I'm joined in studio today by Scott Rogers. He is the uh, voice of the Pirates. He's back behind the glass doing all the producing, so we thank Scott for filling in. And we are going to move to his area of expertise, the Pirate Baseball team, as Pirate Baseball Media Day is going on today. Scott, are you excited? I think this is always one of my favorite days of the year because even though I know baseball season's right around the corner, there's something about going into the facilities and talking to Coach Godwin as well as the players that just kind of gives that extra little chill going down my spine to know that it's finally here. Yeah, and you know it's always a. It, it's like it's kind of your feeling, like you know that baseball is right around the corner, as it is with every every sport. When media day comes around, you're right there. You can feel it. Uh, you know, and, and this is a year to be excited about. This team has got, you know, arguably the best one-two punch in its rotation that it's had since the Carson Wisenhunt, Gavin Williams years. It, I would honestly put it up there, right with those two. Uh, you know, you still got to figure out that Sunday spot in the rotation, but this is a team certainly to be excited about. You know, not only from the starting pitching they have right now, they've added those bullpen pieces with some freshmen, the transfers, and then, of course, you've got pretty much everybody returning on the offensive side and, and defensively as well. And so there'll be a couple of new new guys out there, I think, defensively and in the lineup for – for offense, but this team has uh, certainly got a, a a rap sheet to to make a run this year. You mentioned that one-two punch, um, and it you know we obviously we know you know as long as they stay healthy, we know who the Friday and Saturday guys are. And I think the interesting thing about the Sunday spot, because that's kind of what I want to get into here, is the issue isn't we need a guy to step up. Because we don't know who the Sunday guy is. No, the way I've understood it, there are four or five guys that are capable of being that Sunday guy. It's not finding someone capable. They're there. It's who's going to be the guy to portray himself, to just leave the other three or four guys in the dust and say, hey, you know what? I'm the Sunday guy. I'm the anchor leg of the weekend. That's what's got to happen. I think that, you know, AK and Coach Godwin, correct me if I'm wrong, Scooter, have a great problem on their hands right now finding this Sunday guy because I think there's, what, at least three, maybe four or five guys that legit could be in that role and do exactly what you need them to do. Yeah, there definitely is. You know, right off the head, you know, right off the top of your head, you think of a guy like Jake Hunter, who has been in this program for two seasons now, put in a lot of work in the summer this year, pitched pitch really good in summer ball. Uh, and, and this is a guy that has been in that starting rotation before. He he was in the Sunday role his freshman year for a couple weeks. Uh, last year we saw him primarily out of the bullpen, but – He's a guy that could step into that role. Of course, you have the transfer from George Washington, Chris Kaler, who pitched against East Carolina last year on opening day and and really pitched good against East Carolina in that appearance too. And so that's a guy too that I like for this spot because he's already had he already has that starters mentality. 
And he has that Friday night experience. He was he was George Washington's Friday guy last year. He's got really good stuff. Showed it in the fall that he's got really good stuff. And so that's a guy that you could see in that Sunday role too. And that's not even mentioning someone like an Ethan Norby who had a really good fall as a freshman coming in. He's a lefty, so that gives you some good looks there from a uh, arm slot standpoint. But then you also have. You mean, I think he'll stay in the bullpen primarily, but even someone like Wyatt Lunsford-Chinkman could slide into that role if you need him to. I think they primarily want to keep him in the bullpen, especially for late-game situations, but he's got the ability to come in and pitch four or five innings if you need him to. Yeah, you know, you mentioned um, John Blank, the guy from George Washington. Um, Chris Kaler. Yeah, Chris Kaler, thank you. You know, coming in, obviously the A-10 – is not the American, but to your point, the fact that he looked good against the Pirates, and of course it's only one start, but if you can pitch good against this lineup, you can pitch good against anyone in the American, and obviously he's not the pitcher he was a year ago. He's better. He's, you know, that was almost 365 days ago that we talk about that start, and he's got a lot more experience and a lot more starts under his belt. You mentioned Wyatt Lungsford-Shinkman. I I think he could do it. He could be a four or five inning starter on Sundays, which is all you need but I really hope it's not him just solely because of the fact that I think if it's one of those high scoring games say you know things don't go as planned to start out Friday or Saturday and all of a sudden you're through four innings and you're in a game that's already four to four you know and you need a guy to come in and eat three or four innings and really shut the other team down Shinkman, that is a tough thing to do. And Shinkman proved time and time again last year that he can be that guy. And I'm not saying that Norby can't be that guy or Hunter can't be that guy, but it's a tough mentality to have. And I think Wyatt did a phenomenal job in that last year. I would love to see him in that middle reliever role. You know, we've kind of gone away from the days of a true closer. We now have a high leverage guy. And I think that Wyatt can be that guy and the fact that he can get you out of a jam in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. But, you know, a lot of times those high leverage guys come in, they do that, and then that's it. He can do that and then back it up by going out there and throwing three innings the way a Friday night ace would throw his first time through the rotation for three innings. And, you know, I I think that Wyatt really – I would love to see him in that role again because I think he allows one of the other guys to have an off night. And as much as our our top two guys, as good as they are, they're still human. The guys they're pitching against are still Division I baseball players. And even though they're better, and I will take those guys against any lineup in the country, they're still going to get hit around a couple times and, and I would love for Shink to be that guy you mentioned Hunter look you know Hunter had been in that Sunday role as you said as a freshman he's had some midweek starts and you know is he the guy who's going to give you eight innings no but if you take care of business Friday and Saturday as I believe this team will majority of the time you don't need eight innings out of him you need five innings, six innings. And I think Jake Hunter can be that guy. You know, Norby, it's going to be interesting. You know, he's a freshman. Um, You would love to see him excel in that Sunday role because if you can get a freshman to do that, how easily can you slide him right into one of the bigger two days next year? But uh, 
if if he doesn't and he's got to be that midweek guy i would just love to see him get some starts even if it is in the midweek and he only sees the rotation you know sees the lineup go through one time but i think there's a lot of optimism in this staff what do you think scooter yeah there definitely is um in in that's one thing that I think might separate this team from some in the past is because they've got some pitching depth this year. And, you know, obviously you can't account for injuries. That might happen. Um, but you've got so many guys that can be in so many different roles with this team. We just mentioned Wyatt Lunsford Shankman and how he has the ability to pitch four or five innings. He has the ability to start for you. Uh, someone like Danny Bill, he's a guy that has the ability to start for you, has started for East Carolina in the past, and that's another one that could slide into that Sunday spot if you need him to. But he has the ability to pitch a lot of innings. He has the ability to come out of the bullpen. And so, right, this this staff has that factor this year. And this this team, I think, you know, everybody says, well, this is the year. This is the year. This is the year. It truly kind of – this team kind of has a feel for it because they're not getting that preseason hype like it has in the past when you had kind of have that feeling. And so I think going back to that, you know, kind of chip on the shoulder mentality for this program this year could, could help them a lot. And this is going to be a fun year to watch. It is. Now let's transition over to the rest of the team. We'll start with the infield. Um Obviously, not 100% sure who the starting third baseman is going to be. But one of the things that I think happened well last year, and this is the hardest thing to do in baseball, we were talking about with the basketball team, is get the young guys in. Like, there's no clock in baseball, right? If you send a guy out there who's not ready and he messes up, the other team can always come back. There's 27 outs. There's no clock. But Dixon Williams and Nathan Chrisman got in a significant amount last year. I thought they played very well. Um, and one of them, there's a good chance they will start at that third base spot this year. And a lot of times when you, in college baseball, when you're in that spot, you're worried about who that guy's going to be because he hasn't seen a lot of experience. Because again, there is no clock. But the fact that you have those two guys, the fact that you have Chaz Myers from Pacific, the transfer, this is a guy who started like 47 games for them last year. I think there is a lot of depth in this infield, and the pieces that have to be replaced, we should have no issue. It's Again, it's kind of one of those things, it's not a matter who's going to step up and be good enough, it's who's going to st- step away from the other guys and really portray himself into that starting role. Yeah, and when, when you look around defensively with this team, especially I'll start at third base, you know, I I think it's going to be Dixon Williams starting there right now because this guy has that mentality to start at third base. But you also have guys like Chaz Myers, the transfer from Pacific that came in this year, and he's another one that could easily start in the infield, not just at third base. He could play some other positions if you need him to. You have Cam Clunch who could start at first base. He could be your DH if you have to. There's so many different options for this team defensively and offensively that's going to help them a lot because that helps you so much depending on the situation as well. You know, you have so many late-game situations that they could slide some guys in there too. You know, with with Dixon Williams in there now at third base, you have another you know lefty hitter in there, but you've got power in that lineup too. 
And so there's a lot of different options for this team. And I think it might take a couple of games to really see how some of these guys do. But I think once you get past maybe the first couple weeks of the season, you could have this team's lineup pretty much set in stone. You mentioned Cam Clanch there. Um, you know, he's a potential starting first baseman. The other guy that is going to potentially start at that spot is Carter Cunningham. Um, historically an outfielder for the Pirates, but there's big shoes to fill and Josh Moylan being gone. Do you think Carter moving to first base is going to hurt the outfield depth? Do you think some of the freshmen will easily replace Carter if we do see him start at first base? If you look at someone like Bristol Carter, could he jump in and and just portray himself into Cunningham's spot if we do see him move to first base? Are you worried about the outfield? And kind of what are your thoughts on the two guys that will start or potentially start at first base for the Pirates? I don't think there's really much worry at all for this outfield right now because you have someone like – you have your two corner guys in Luke Nowak, Jacob jenkins Cow. Those are guys that have played the outfield in the past. Luke Nowak worked really hard in the fall to figure out some of those defensive woes from last year. Uh, Jacob Jenkins Cowart is obviously more comfortable in right field, I believe. And so, in that, and then you throw Bristol Carter into the equation where this is a freshman that is a different talent than what some have seen in the past here. And so, I think this outfield is going to be really good this year. I don't think moving Cunningham to first base will hurt that outfield at all. And, and moving him to first base is going to help this team so much because you're still keeping that power bat in the lineup and that's the biggest thing with Cunningham right now is keeping that bat in the lineup and so and he, and he played you know first base a little bit or he played first base down in his Juco stop before he came to East Carolina and so he's played first before he's played first here at East Carolina some as well and so I don't think there's any worry moving him to first base whatsoever. All right, that'll about wrap it up here for our second um, segment. Again, we will talk a lot more Pirate baseball tomorrow. Obviously, we could keep going on. The one position we didn't really hit on was catcher, but Ryan McChrystal, J-Dub, what can we say? It'll probably be the same as last year. So hopefully both those guys can stay healthy. Obviously, both dealing with some injuries a year ago, especially Ryan with that back deal. So um, hopefully – very set in stone there. We will recap the baseball media day tomorrow. But on the other side of this timeout, we are going to recap the weekend that was in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and give a slight preview of the conference championship games. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. The Pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this? On 94.3, the game. Welcome back into Hoist the Colors on a Monday. We have recapped ECU basketball from the weekend as well as giving you a little preview of baseball as we head over to Baseball Media Day after this. We will get to interview Coach Godwin, Coach Palumbo, Coach Knight, as well as a handful of the players. I think this is the biggest lineup we've ever had as far as players on Media Day, or at least that I can remember, Scooter. It's certainly the biggest one since I've been doing play-by-play for ECU. Yeah, of course, maybe Igo could come in and find a year from years ago when, oh, we had way more players this time. But, you know, Igo's old, so that's uh, – th- that's Wow, throwing shade at Igo <laughs> while he's sick. <laughs> while he's sick, while he's sick. If you're just joining us, Igo's not here. He's, he's sick. Um, I think one of, the, uh, one of the kids got him sick, so 
Iger's, Iger's had a rough winter, so feel better, bud, and hopefully uh, we can have you back tomorrow to recap this ECU Baseball Media Day. Maybe a VIP subscription. A new VIP subscription from someone might make him feel better. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah, exactly. Subscribe to Hoist the Colors, a VIP subscription, and maybe that's what it'll take to get Igo back here tomorrow so you don't have to listen to me again. Also, donate to Team Boneyard because we need the best players on the field since we're plugging stuff. So, going over to the football side of things, obviously the Ravens knocking off the Texans 34-10 on Saturday. The Niners followed that up with a 24-21 victory over the Packers. We're going to dive into that game especially. And then the Detroit Lions on Sunday defeating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to advance to just their second-ever NFC Championship game. So since the Super Bowl's inception, I guess the merger happened um, you know, a few years after, but even in those first few years of the NFL Championship game when the Super Bowl was still going on, they only, they'd never made it. They've only been in 1991. So in the Super Bowl era, they have really struggled in the playoffs, and they are back. They will travel to San Francisco. And then Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs knocking off Josh Allen and the Bills. Patty now 3-0 in the playoffs against Josh Allen. So, Scooter, we're going to you know kind of look at this. Um, Scooter and I did not get to watch as much football as we wanted to on Saturday with all the basketball things we had going on. Texans hung around with the Ravens for about three quarters, and then Lamar kind of took over. Again, once again, the Texans not really – having enough explosion plays and proving once again that they can't really move the ball down the field consistently. They have to rely on explosion plays, and the Ravens did a good job taking it away. Were you really surprised about this outcome? Not really. You know, I think a lot of people kind of expected the Ravens to win that game, especially the way they pulled away late. But, you know, my favorite game from the weekend was, was last night. That that Bills Chiefs game was was probably one of the best games we've seen in a while. It was one of the more fun games just because it was so back and forth throughout the game. But I think it's setting up for a, a good good um, good weekend of games coming up this weekend. Yeah, I think it will. So we can go right into that Chiefs Bills game. So we'll just start with AFC and you know, as we've already kinda of hit on the Ravens, Lamar had four total touchdowns. He ran for one hundred yards and two touchdowns and then he threw for two touchdowns as well. So Lamar Jackson proven once again he is the dynamic quarterback that he so preaches to be and everybody says he can't win in the playoffs. Well he does get a second, I believe, career playoff win but it's going to be tough because he's going to have to deal with Patrick Mahomes next. A Patrick Mahomes offense that scored on every possession but one. Now, of course, there was the end of the first half possession and the end of the game possession, but possessions that came to a complete end, they only did not score one time. It was that Isaiah Pacheco fumble on the one-yard line that went through the end zone. They never had to punt in this game. Travis Kelsey had a case of the drops in the wild card weekend. He did not have it yesterday. Uh, Rasheed Rice looked good. They really, anybody they threw the football to just looks like the Kansas City Chiefs that we have not seen this season. And it looks to me, Scooter, like they are peaking at the right time. They are. And, you know, as you said, they scored on just about every possession yesterday. And, this team, they're getting hot, and, you know, you see that. That was one thing that I was kind of looking for with the Packers was you kind of had that feeling when they won that first game that they might be a Super Bowl contender because we've seen teams like that get hot at the right time. 49ers ended up beating them, though. But, 
It's just like in every sport. Whoever's hot at the end of the year is going to be your toughest team, and the Chiefs are certainly heating up right now. They probably had a lot of heat coming from the suites last night with uh, Jason Kelsey having a, a very good time up with uh, Taylor Swift last night, and that, that might have been why uh, Travis was having some drops during the game because if I looked up there and saw that, I would be distracted too. But, yes, this, certain, this Chiefs team is certainly heating up at the right time. Yeah, I was going to bring up the Jason thing next. I mean, what a great shot. I guess what a when, guy. Just yeah. what a guy in general. Hey, man, finals for sexiest man alive. You know, when you are when you play for a team, you can pull for your brother, but you can't act like that because you have loyalty to your franchise. But, man, the second you retire, oh, yeah. you're a brother. You're a fair game. You are no longer an NFL player. He has no, you know – loyalty to the Eagles, I'm sure we'll always pull for the Eagles, you know, always a special place in his heart. But you can go out there and act like a drunk, crazy fan for your brother, and I love to see it. Shirtless, slamming a beer, that's what being a brother of an NFL superstar is like. So, Jackson Mahomes, take notes, quit acting like a moron and start acting like Jason Kelsey, and people might respect you more. No so. more TikTok dances. Yeah, no more TikTok dances. I did see Brittany a few times. She was hugging Tay Tay. Maybe, maybe we should get a ninety-four-three TikTok account. Me and Joe. If so Joey, you and Joe can have me fun. and Joey football can do TikToks. Together. You and Joey football can have fun. I will film it, and uh, Dom, because he's the youngest of us, knows how TikTok works, and he can post it. You and uh, you and Joe can do all the dances. So there's that. We'll move on to the NFC side. You know, you kind of mentioned the ball already. We're gonna hit on this quick. The Green Bay Packers falling to San Francisco. I'm not gonna lie; it wouldn't have surprised me if this game was a blowout. I think San Francisco one to fifty three is the best roster in the league, but. Jordan Love has proven that he is the predecessor to Aaron Rodgers, beating the Cowboys and now going into San Francisco and hanging with a very, very good 49ers team. I'm very optimistic about the Green Bay Packers heading forward into 2024. Yeah, and this is a team that you know, I'll say as a not, – not really a Packers fan, but I do own – one share of the Green Bay <laughs> Packers, so I feel responsible for it a little bit. But, no, Jordan Love has clearly separated himself from any conversation whether he is the quarterback in Green Bay. This guy certainly has it. He's fun to watch. And some of the throws that he makes are so just so good, whether he's dropping his arm slot and side-arming it in to a tight spot. It's, he's so fun to watch. And, and it's good to see these young quarterbacks Succeed, unlike a one that's about four hours away from here, Philip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Jordan Love certainly has separated himself from that conversation, and I think he's going to be good in Green Bay for a very long time. Speaking of a team that's four hours away from here, you know, they could have a first round draft pick this year if Matt Rule would have used Baker Mayfield right. The Nebraska head coach. Yeah, and I don't even like Nebraska either. <laughs> um, Baker Mayfield, they lost, but 349 yards and three touchdowns. 2020, Baker Mayfield is here to stay. Tampa's obviously going to resign him. He's a free agent, but I want to congratulate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on this season. Nine and eight, win the South. Everybody's talking about how bad the NFC South was. You beat the Eagles, despite being cold, are still a very good football team, and then you go to Detroit 
and hang with the Lions, the most energetic team in the league, the team that maybe believes in themselves the most. So congratulations to Tampa on one heck of a 2023 campaign. And really, you know, Scooter, I thought this game didn't disappoint either. This was a great football game. Jared Goff proving why he was more than just a cap drop from the Rams and that trade that he brings value to these Detroit Lions and he is an NFL starting quarterback he definitely is and it's that team is so much fun to watch and you know this is a team that I kind of am wanting to win the Super Bowl this year just because of the Lions history but this team is they're fun to watch I love the energy from Dan Campbell and even though he was not the best head coach here it's cool to see Scotty Montgomery have some success at the NFL level with him being on staff for the Lions. Yeah, for sure. I do wish Scotty the best. I think he might just be one of those guys who's who's a heck of a football coach and maybe just not set out to be a head coach. There's this, a difference in being yeah. a leader and being a piece. Right, and this is a guy that easily, I think, in the next four to five years could be an NFL head coach one day. Yeah, they were talking about him as, as interviewing some places, so it wouldn't surprise me. We'll see. Hopefully he has better success if he does get that job again. But, hey, man, you see it all the time and in, in every field, right? You see people who are good senators or congressmen go on to be crappy presidents or whatever. So, um, you know, there's a difference in being the leader, being the guy, and just being a piece. So that'll have to wrap it up for segment three here. We'll be back to wrap up the show. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into Hoist the Colors here on this Monday, January the 22nd. Earlier in the show, we have wrapped up the Pirates basketball weekend as well as the preview of baseball and uh, talked a little bit about the post game hey there i am thanks scooter back on now yes that was a uh that was an error on scooter that's all good i've made many errors back there so all e5 good. e5 that is uh scooter our third baseman making an e5 we want to thank him for joining us today and producing a little bit of a spot start Igo Texas last night that he was going to be unable to make it in today. So thank you to Stephen Igo for allowing us to fill in for him. We hope he feels better so that he can be back tomorrow or at least some point in this week. I know it's tough being at home, being sick, and then obviously having sick kids doesn't help it either. So feel better, Igo. We want to thank you all for tuning in today to Hoist the Colors here on this Monday. Join us again tomorrow. Still unsure again who's going to be hosting. Uh, we will be recapping ECU Baseball Media Day, or at least that is the plan for now, as we will be talking with head coach Cliff Godwin, his assistants, as well as about seven Pirate players as part of the 2024 Media Day as the Ryder Bronx are just around the corner. By the way, Scooter does not know Ryder's mascot. Do you have anything to say for yourself, Scooter? They're three weeks out, and I quizzed you the other day on mascots, and you got Ryder wrong. I'll know in a couple weeks. He'll know in a couple weeks. He got some schools I didn't even know were D1 right, and he didn't know Ryder. So... We thank you for tuning in. Come back tomorrow and listen to us as we recap ECU Baseball Media Day. This has been Hoist the Colors on a Monday. 
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 The Game. 